Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hi, I'm John Muster, and you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, your weekly dose of all things Disney. And behind the scenes from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, what's in theaters, what's streaming on your boob tube, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I am one of those boobs. Oh, that sounds really weird, Dave. Al John Go, <laughs> musician, longtime Disney Marvel and Star Wars and pop culture fan. You can email me, John at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and the other boob uh, here at the Skull Rock Podcast. We have a full rack for you today. Uh, <laughs> if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Uh, Al John, uh, we've got another great show. We've got part four, the final part of our Andreas Deja uh, interview. And uh, I'm excited about this because I know he's going to talk about the short film uh, that he's animated and produced and directed and, uh, you know, basically did everything on with a with a small team of artists uh and uh so we're going to hear all about that uh today Love as it. we finish up our interview with andreas what a month it's been with andreas being on the show for an epic four weeks i mean you know he he's uh he's so good and he's so much fun and i can't wait to delve into more awesome stories from the man the disney legend andreas deja it's awesome yeah and, and you know something uh, you i got a great comment on facebook um it was very short and sweet and right to the point thank you for preserving the history of animation from amy our friend on facebook yeah well, i love that you know and i have i have to say you know this this show is you know, part uh, uh, contemporary pop culture and Disney and uh, also an oral history uh, of uh, filmmaking and animation and, you know, all that's going on in the world. I love that. And the fact that we have these stories that have never been told, never been heard before is so good that we can document. I mean, Dave, you're you're a Disney historian. And to have your books and your essays, everything on your website, and then to have this podcast as just a one complete thing. I mean, if you're into Disney history and animation of, you know, of all that, I mean, this is kind of like your one-stop shop is just go to Dave's website to just check out all that stuff. 
It's part of our media empire. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of media empires, heard any good stories lately? <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna be getting to that boy. I'll tell you that we we got a lot of lot, lot to talk about. I I do want to give a shout out because yes. uh, we have a guest coming up in in a couple of weeks. We ha- we have uh, really I I think you know one of one of the uh, great animators of this generation, Nancy Beeman. Uh, and she's, you know, not only an animator, she's a filmmaker, she's an author, she's, uh, you know, just retired from, uh, a stellar teaching career at Sheridan college. Uh, but she wrote a book during the height of the pandemic. It's called how I finally got to live a cat's life, a cartoon diary, 2020 to 2021, by Nancy Beeman. And, and we'll put a link in our show notes for this because it's available at nancybeeman.com. Ah. And she sent me a copy of this and I have to tell you, I love it. And, and a lot, you know, I have to tell you during the pandemic, I was getting um, these emails from Nancy with these little cartoons attached to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and it's really terrific. You know, uh, I have to say, uh, she's she's really a wonderful cartoonist, uh, and I think people really would enjoy this book a lot. There's a lot of laughs in here uh, and a lot of things that probably many of us have experienced during the pandemic. So we'll make sure that, you know, we're going to talk about this briefly, I think, when Nancy's on the show. But I wanted to give people a shout. I, I wanted to give this book a shout out so people could maybe put this on their list of uh, possible Christmas gifts for themselves or a loved one, you know? We'll add it to the, uh, the skull rock podcast book club. So, yeah, the show notes. The show notes. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll put a it. link. We'll, we'll put a link to Nancy's uh, website where you can get the book. You know, I, I feel like it's my goal in life to have a cat's life at the end of it. You know, at the just to punctuate it. You know, right before I go out, <laughs> let me just there live a go. cat's life for a few days, and I'd be happy. I think <laughs> uh, I love it, but I, I love Nancy too. So, looking forward to checking that book out. Yeah, out. yeah. So we do have this. It's uh, before we get into all of the big stories. It's our picks of the week. What we've been streaming, good, bad, or ugly. And Dave, you saw a lot of stuff. <laughs> I really did see a lot of stuff. I mean, honestly, while people were out shopping, I was honkered down at the house watching stuff. And you were, uh, and you were at Amazon checking go, out I, all the black I, the Black Friday deals. You're just watching. Yeah, I, I, I was just. I, I I just you know sort of you know closed the blinds and watched content. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I did go to the movies. I did see Wakanda Forever in IMAX. Mm-hmm. Uh, spectacular film okay uh, i have to say it wasn't as good as the first one yeah it's, it's in my book hard to beat. you know hard to yeah beat. It, it was hard to beat but i i still thought it was a good book i, I mean a good movie and it was really well done mm-hmm. um you know but but for me there were there were some sort of flat spots in the movie mm-hmm. uh but uh beautiful and i'm glad i saw it in imax yes um the i i also went to see the glass onion a knives out mystery. Yeah. And, and I have, I have to tell you uh, that this was only playing in theaters for a week. This is, this is actually a Netflix movie and they, they put it out in the theater for uh, a week uh-huh. and I, I went to see it on the big screen and, you know, I got to tell you, I love Daniel Craig. Uh, I, yes. I think he's just absolutely fantastic. 
there's really an incredible cast here. You know, Kate Hudson, Edward Norton, Catherine Hahn, Ethan Hawke. Uh, there's a whole bunch of really fun cameos. I mean, there's a cameo by Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah. Which is terrific. Yeah. You know, but there, I, I won't I won't give away the others, but there's a lot of really fun cameos. It's a really good movie. We really the first, good. Chris and I enjoyed the first one. So we're looking yeah, at this going. The, I can't wait for, I, honestly, for this, this is a franchise. Yeah. I, I hope they do more of these. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, and whether you see it in the theaters or you see it on Netflix, uh, I would highly recommend that you see it. Um, and then I watched the the Banshees of Inishir in you're mm-hmm. in a Sheeran. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get that right. Yes. Something like that. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, again, this is another movie that I, I actually watched this on uh, the Academy uh, screening room, uh, which is obviously not available to everybody. It, it's, uh, you know, because I'm a member of the motion picture Academy, I get to see a lot of movies that uh, are out in the theaters. I can watch them at, home if i want to yes uh and uh you know again uh here's a terrific cast colin farrell and brandon gleason are the leads in this and you may remember them uh from in bruges yes uh which was a terrific (laughs) movie and these these guys have great chemistry together it's just amazing uh and uh you've got uh carrie condon uh barry coogan uh and uh pat short uh there's just a really interesting cast but this was all shot shot on the um uh more mostly shot on the aaron island uh of innsmore uh and off the west coast of ireland so the cinematography is absolutely beautiful and this is kind of a dark comedy that's all i can say is that you have to see this there's a lot of funny things going on in this movie and i very much enjoyed watching it. It's cool. Yeah. Um, I saw Wendell and Wild. Uh, this is from Henry Selleck, uh, who, you know, people will remember directed The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right, right. Uh, and Henry did Wendell and Wild, uh, which is another stop motion film. Uh, it's, uh, it was written by uh, Henry and uh, Jordan Peele. And it stars Jordan Peele, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Lyric Ross, uh, Tamara Smart, James Hong, who's in his 90s, uh, does, uh, this is a terrific character he does, uh, and uh, Ving Rhames. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I have to say, this is a beautifully executed movie, uh, but it, it's, it's a bit all over the place for me. Uh, and I, I think the stop motion is, is stunning. Uh, there's certainly a, a few people that were involved in nightmare before Christmas who are involved in this movie. Um, and listen, uh, it's worth watching. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of film. It looks very interesting. I like the, I like the boilerplate for it, you know, about two yeah. scheming demon brothers, enlist the aid of a 13 year old to summon them to the land of the living. 
Wow. Yeah, she she becomes their hell maiden, as, yeah. they, as she's called. Uh, That's an awesome name for a band, Dave. <laughs> I know, hell maiden. Uh, but you know something? Uh, you know, the character designs are, uh, are, are very different uh, than you would have expected uh, in a stop motion film, I guess, uh, or... I don't know. I, I mean, in my mind, different style. But uh, mm-hmm. it, 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 I enjoyed it. Uh, it's you know, look, it's not Henry's best movie. Mm-hmm. I think his best movie is Coraline, right? Which is just absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes, beautiful is. movie. But uh, check it out. It's on Netflix. Although the um, although the the character design looks really cool, like I like it. Yeah, you know, it's it's different. That's yeah. all I'll say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, I finished watching Andor uh, on Disney Plus. Okay, and and I loved it. I, I mean, go. what a great series! I, I I can't wait for season two. Yeah, yeah. I hope they're making. I, a I season hope there's two. a season two. It looks like I, I do. It looks like it literally buttoned up against the end of Rogue One. Um, yeah. At the end, but you know, and we know how that turned out. So maybe, yeah, there maybe there there may be hope. We'll see. Yeah. And then, you know, I watched another episode of uh, Tulsa King, uh-huh. uh, really enjoying it. Nice. Uh, I think it's a terrific series. Right on. Um, I binge watched with Nancy uh, Wednesday. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, the first four episodes are directed by Tim Burton. You can absolutely see Tim's aesthetic in those four episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, the other four episodes are directed by two other directors and i gotta tell you is it, it, it there's a little bit more brightness in those episodes which i think takes away from the uh uh sort of the environmental feel of those four first episodes i wonder why that was the case because it seems like you know when a when a showrunner or series director starts down a path that it's kind of you know part of the director's job to maybe keep that some of those aesthetics of of the original creation and yeah. the look and the the way the it's filmed and the way it's lit would should all be consistent across the board unless some kind of major change happens you know, there there was one shot in, in one of the episodes in the second half of the series uh, where they're at a cemetery and it's raining out, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's got umbrellas and it's really pissing down rain. And you look off in the distance and it's bright sunshine back there. Mm-hmm. As if they shot it on a really bright, sunny day and just used, you know, uh, uh, you know, the rain gear uh, th- that they used to make make it rain on sets. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe. It, it, I mean, to the point where it bothered me. Yeah. yeah and it wasn't you know just like I mean? a char- it wasn't like a funny character Munsters thing where. No, you know, or the Adams family thing where this no, is you know, it, kind of like, it, you know, it, it felt it felt a little bit uh, off putting to me huh. because I, I felt there were certain shots in some of those other episodes that Tim didn't direct that seemed to be a little brighter than they should have been. Interesting. You know, yeah. it wasn't consistent with the four first episodes that Tim did. And again, 
you know, when you see it, it's pure Tim Burton. You're going to love it. It's if you're a fan of Tim Burton's movies, you're going to really enjoy this series. Did they get Danny? Did they get Danny? By the way, I'm being nitpicky. Overall, the show is fantastic. Did they get Danny Elfman to come back for music? Danny Elfman did the music. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, honestly, and, you know, it's it's wonderful. It's 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 a wonderful series. It's like George Lucas Uh, and Robin Williams. You got those two are like peanut butter and jelly, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the lead uh, who plays Wednesday is terrific. Right so, um, and then I, I watched another episode of, of rogue heroes on, uh, Epic or Epic, whatever you want to call <laughs> right, it. Right. Uh, and then, um, uh, dead to me, uh, uh, with Christina Applegate, right. Uh, the final season three, uh, we started watching some of those episodes on Netflix. Uh, Christina Applegate, you know, she recently got her star on the walk of fame and, you know, she's, she's been ill and uh she got diagnosed with ms yeah she has ms and uh you know it's great that she's still able to you know to to do this you know stuff and uh, she's terrific i mean it's the the whole dead to me you know three seasons it's a terrific it's a terrific uh uh show Uh, very well very well written and funny and crazy and you know it's it's definitely if you're looking for something to watch put dead to me on your list, put Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday on your list. Both are on Netflix and certainly Tulsa King, which is on Paramount plus. I love that. Yep. I just renewed my Paramount plus. So I'm in it. So we're, we're you go. wife and I have got that bookmarked for sure. So that That's was cool. a ter- tremendous amount of stuff. I watched. That so is, it's good. What have you been watching? Well, we finally, uh, were able to finish off the walking dead in the series finale. And I will say that once again, um, I looked at I looked at the series and I said, "How are they going to wrap up the twelve years or eleven years of of story in a forty five minute episode? Like, how are they going to do that? They did it. And I don't know how. I don't know how. They did, they, and they did it well. They did it really well, Dave. It felt now, like it was now, a love letter to the fans that have stuck with the program, like myself and and my wife. Like, we've been Walking Deadheads since the very beginning. I love the comic book. It's so good, and this series I think really puts everybody in a good place. And it's, it's got a lot of the things that you loved about the original first two seasons of the walking dead, the heart, the characters, um, the sad moments, the character moments, and everybody had a chance to shine in the series finale. And it left things wide open for a future of the show that, uh, that will catapult some of the other series regulars into their own spinoff shows on AMC plus. So, but I thought it was well done. So congratulations, Angela Kang. You did a great job show running the last few uh, years of the series. Let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Do you think they left it hanging that there could be like a walking dead movie? Oh yes. Yes. Excellent. I Absolutely. hope they do. I hope they do something like that. Yeah, they're supposed to. They were supposed to do a Rick Grimes and Michonne episode um, or movie, but I think now they're going to be doing that on the the streaming platform AMC Plus for paid subscriptions. Okay, and that's definitely the reason why I I would I would watch because I love those two characters, and if it's like six, I, I believe it's a six part series that they're going to do, which was supposed to be a the- theatrical release. I mean, they still could do it, I guess, but. Um, that's fine. Whatever 
price I have to pay, yeah. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then uh, I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special on Disney Plus. And this is on my this is on my list of things to watch. I, I've got to get to that. It it makes me sad that this is one of the final um, projects James Gunn has for the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think he's brilliant. I really love James Gunn's uh, style and the quirkiness. Guardians is probably one of my favorite teams in the MCU because of the kind of personality and character development. For all the characters, you love them all. And this one particularly focuses on Drax and Mantis, uh, Pom Clemente's uh, character and Dave Bautista's character. And they really shine. It's really her show. And, you, you know, really- I got to tell you something. Dave Bautista is a good actor. He's good. He really is. He's you really know, because you know, he's in he's in Glass Onion. Is he really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he plays in, a, he plays a great character well, he's in been, Glass yeah. Onion. And he's been in 007 movies as you know. He's been, yeah. you know, obviously WWE superstar and wrestler, future Hall of Famer, but he is a really really good. He was good in that uh, zombie movie on Netflix. He was good in that uh, uh, what else was David? He was in that movie with Jodie Foster with a hotel uh, on Netflix as well, and he was really good with her. I, you and, know he's. He, I think he's got a lot of range. Yeah, and, and and he's a very dimensional character, unlike some of the other folks that have crossed over from you know wrestling or other you know sports related uh, areas uh, into acting. I, he gets I think it. Dave Batista. He he almost feels like a natural. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, he, he gets he it. Just, he really does, and yeah. uh, really does a great job in everything I've seen him in. I think he really should be in that next generation of action heroes i feel like yeah, he, he's got yeah. he's got that range he's completely likable um he's got a very good sense of comedic timing but yet when it calls for him to be serious he can do it yeah and yeah. um so kudos to dave batista fellow filipino by the way so pinoy good good stuff there you go it. uh but the holiday special is great kevin bacon's in it i don't need to spoil it but uh they do feature some of my guitars in there dave so check take a look at it all my <laughs> okay. guitars yeah. all well, my guitars do, are hey, in listen, that movie when i saw the trailer and i saw kevin bacon in there playing himself i was like man i can't wait to see this <laughs> well if you haven't checked out the bacon brothers you really should i mean they live in nashville and <laughs> Uh, Kevin Bacon is a great musician in his own right. Feel like that kind of you know, uh, you know, rock and roll kind of Americana vibe. Uh, Bacon Brothers are definitely a, ch- a thing to check out. But definitely check out this series. And yeah. there's a lot of callbacks to like the Star Wars holiday special, but in good taste. So everything holiday is in this, and it's very well done. Also saw Disenchanted on Disney Plus this week. Uh, Amy Adams, of course, is back, and she's bringing the storybook world into the real world. And it turns out there's a little twist involved, and it's hard to beat the first enchanted. I feel like that movie stands alone. Um, I don't know if a sequel was going to do it justice. And while it falls short, it's still very good. Right. So listen, I, I have to tell you, I, I know a little bit behind the scenes about all of this. Yeah. I I've talked to a few people who are involved in disenchanted, uh, and I also, you know, went to school with and knew and know, um, uh, the, uh, director, Kevin Lima mm-hmm. of Enchanted mm-hmm. and Kevin Lima had an animation background and crossed over into live action. So he got it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why, that's why Enchanted was so well done and well received. Yeah. And if you're going to do a sequel and bring the band back together, 
why didn't they bring Kevin Lima, the director, back? I don't know, but I feel you know? like I was missing. I felt like Enchanted worked, as you said, because it is an animated Disney movie. Just yeah. with just with real characters. Everything that they're doing now with the live action remakes. I mean, this is Enchanted, Best of Both Worlds. And I thought Disenchanted was going to be more of the same. Ultimately, I felt a little deflated, um, but it's still good. But man, you know, it could have been so much more. So I feel like yeah, and and you know something, you know, again because I talked to some people that were worked in worked on the project. You know, the director that did Disenchanted didn't really understand animation, didn't get it. Yeah, you know, so when you have somebody like that, and there was also some politics involved, which you know always destroys stuff when that happens. Yeah, you know, and this is what this is what you wind up getting. Exactly. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, there was no reason why you couldn't have brought Kevin Lima, the director, back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, who did Enchanted, and have him be part of the sequel. Exactly. You know, you brought all the all the other actors back. I mean, for crying out loud, you know, bring somebody in that actually understands the the property fully and understands animation. One hundred. Anyway, I I I am gonna watch it, but I'm gonna watch it begrudgingly, uh, and already with a tainted opinion. Ugh. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> well, yeah, this is why people listen to our show, Dave. They listen for all the animation history, <laughs> but they also listen to us talk and piss on stuff. So. <laughs> Hey, well, no, I'm, just joking, I'm just joking, but kind of not. I, I, yeah, but honestly, you know, we're, we we speak truth. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, we, I mean, we and you come truth. to it from a filmmaker's perspective, and I come to it from a completely yeah. fan perspective yeah. and, you know, and a lover of, of pop culture. So here we go. Yeah. So speaking of pop culture, what's more pop culture than the Pepsi challenge, Dave? I mean, you've done it. I've done it. And in this documentary that I saw, Pepsi, where's my damn jet? It's not really where, where my damn jet is, but it says, Pepsi, where's my jet? Um, they take the Pepsi Coke challenge and then they ask the question, where's my jet? So back in the late 90s, uh, there was a campaign post, uh, you know, uh, Cindy Crawford and all those great ads that they've done where they had Pepsi, Pepsi points, Pepsi, Pepsi stuff points and a catalog. And the more you drank Pepsi, you would redeem your points from the carton or the can or whatever and send them in and a fulfillment house would send you their prizes. In one of those commercials, there was a Harrier jet, a Harrier jump jet, bam, with a kid coming out of it said 7 million Pepsi points and you get a Harrier jet. But there was no fine print. There was no fine print. So no someone disclaimer, actually, no disclaimer. Like, this is a joke. This, this is, is a joke. We don't, we're not giving this away. Or, and yeah. all those pompous, like, Dave, I can't tell you, like, instead of saying, boy, you know, we should, you know, these are the top executives that did every awesome commercial in the 90s. Every awesome commercial, like Taco Bell and where's my Taco Bell? Yokiero Taco Bell and all that. They go over there and they're like, I was a joke. We didn't think somebody would actually go through. Some knucklehead would uh, cash in their points. It's like, well, it's a commercial, you knucklehead. You're the knucklehead. Yeah. I mean, the way they were so flippant about treating the people, it's like you put this out there. And you know that you have a possibility of being sued. I feel like someone ran this ad and, uh, you know, executive. And when they ran it, they didn't say, did you clear this with legal? Like that yeah. is the the first thing that crosses my mind. Anytime my company does something or whatever, it's like, did you clear this with legal? Always. Right. <laughs> did you clear it with legal? Because I have to clear stuff with legal. And um, they didn't do that. And they're so damn pompous, Dave. It's like, and so when the kid decides that he's going to reach out and get a, a, a investor and 
and pull the strings and say, we're going to do this and then fight the Pepsi company because they were, they bought the remainder of their Pepsi points and the, the jump jet, which is like, you know, 40 billion, you know, or $40 well, million. It's, a, dollars it's like a thir- 30, 35 million dollar jet. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And then they said, well, we just basically, you know, got $7 million and purchased the rest of our points. And now where's my jet? And then they brought him over there and they both wrote him a number and did the whole like wrote a number on a, on a cocktail napkin kind of thing and then pushed it over to see him. And he goes, no, I think I want my jet. And then just left the room. (laughs) It was just so brilliant. (laughs) And uh, so this is that story. It's fun. It's fascinating. It is a peek into pop culture of the nineties and Cindy Crawford's in it. And let me tell you, Dave, some flames die hard and I'm still crushing hard over Cindy Crawford after, (laughs) after 35 years, 40 years. I got to tell you, Nancy has watched most of Pepsi. Where's my jet? Uh, and she was telling me about it and I was howling. I, mm. I was laughing so hard. It's so good. And, and, and I have to say, this is probably the reason why when you watch television commercials and you see crazy stuff on the commercial that, you know, you would never do in your own, you know, in, in, in your right mind, you would never do some of these things. Mm-hmm. There's always a disclaimer at the bottom. This is a professional stunt person on a closed, you know, circuit, you know, closed road circuit, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's always some sort of disclaimer. They have to do it. They have to they do have it. They have to do it because there's going to be somebody who will come out of the woodwork and sue them for something. Oh, of course. Of you course. Know? That's the American way. And yeah, uh, it's crazy. And yeah, there you go. Last but not least, and Dave, I forgot to tell you about this. I saw Mickey, the story of a mouse on Disney Plus. Oh, how'd you like this? I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a very nice, concise, condensed version of the history of Mickey Mouse from, you know, from Walt's beginnings all the way to teaming up with Ub Iwerks to the voices behind Mickey Mouse and the legacy of Walt with Brett Iwan. And uh, they got Goldberg in there to talk about animating this new project and and the the how Mickey Mouse, you know, kind of went from era to era and the different ways to animate Mickey Mouse. I loved it. I thought it was great. Good. I'm going to check it out. Did you, uh, did they really give uh, a Biworks his due? He did. They did. Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I was, I was really happy. They, they gave up like he's the co-creator of Mickey mouse. You know, it's the whole Stan Lee thing. Stan Lee didn't just create Spider-Man, but Steve, I mean, but, uh, oh gosh, Steve, Steve Ditko did too. I was going to say, you know, so you have to always, you know, do that, but it was very good. So yeah, definitely check awesome. it out. And okay. that was just some of the stuff we checked out this week. What's in your uh, playlist. Give us an email and we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I guess we need to talk about this at some point today, right? <laughs> Skull rock podcast this week in Disney and pop culture. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, back in bewitched, Day when they changed out the leading men in Bewitched, yeah. you know, yeah. it, uh, and when maybe when they got rid of Jay Leno and they brought Conan in for a stint and then Jay Leno came back. Yeah. Well, or, Disney seemed or, to have done or, it. We, we could also say in the world of business, Steve Jobs started Oh, Steve Apple. Jobs. Yeah. Oh, he, got, he, got, yeah. he got, you know, pushed out the door. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then he came back. Yeah. Well. Right. Disney. You is, know? Yeah, exactly. There's so many examples of the, the general, the general coming back and, and coming back strong. And, uh, just as the uh, quarter earnings call happened a week later, Disney had their own Bob 
Bob change out <laughs> your folders has been changed out with folders original brand <laughs> blend. Uh, Bob Iger returns as the CEO of the Walt Disney Company in a very stunning move. As uh, we recorded Sunday's episode, the news hadn't broken yet, and uh, I was just frothing at the mouth. And literally, when I heard the t- the words, I was we were doing a live stream for my other podcast, the Disney List. My wife and I just said, "Whatever we were going to do, we're going to scrap it because we're going to talk about this." And now you and I are talking about it. Yeah, you know, I I have to tell you something. Uh, it it it's a shocker. Uh, I think a lot of people were completely shocked. Um, there were a lot of people who didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually watching the Elton John live <laughs> at Dodger Stadium on, on Disney yep. Plus. Yep. I was sitting there watching it and my phone blew up and I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Is this a rub? I jumped up. I actually put something up on my Facebook page and I had to say, no, this is this is for real. This is a Hollywood reporter reporting this, you know? And um I look. I knew that something was going to happen, uh, that 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 some shoe was going to drop and Chapek was going to be gone. Uh, but I don't think anybody in their wildest imaginations could have could have thought that Bob Iger would come back. You know, uh, never. I never thought this was going to happen. And, you know, and, and, and obviously, I think what, you know, aside from all of the missteps uh, that, uh, he made, I think it was that quarterly earnings report, uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, it was, it was terrible. It was a $1.5 billion loss on the streaming and, and the way Chapek did the earnings report was what really got people sort of going like slapping their foreheads. Uh, I'll read from uh, from Deadline. Uh, they said, making matters worse, Chapek came off as curiously sanguine during the company's quarterly earnings call with analysts, breezing past a much wider than expected operating loss from streaming of $1.5 billion. Chapek declared the quarter a turning point en route to a more profitable future, but he didn't come close to acknowledging the uphill climb ahead. Instead, the former theme park division chief rhapsodized about phenomenal park events like the Oogie Boogie Bash and Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party. And, you know, after that earnings call, it it goes on to say, uh, you know, earnings calls, especially Disney's, tend to be an exercise in spin. Yet Chapek's manner and remarks elevated concern at the board level about his ability to right the ship. During the earnings call questions and answer period with analysts, Chapek let CFO Christine McCarthy uh, field questions about the many challenges facing the company. Uh, and I'll tell you something, because of JPEG's performance on that call, you had somebody like Jim Cramer, who's a pundit on CNBC, basically call uh, what JPEG did appalling and gloss uh, gloss about how great they are and faulted his lack of candor. There's just no doubt that he got, uh, you know, he's got to go. Uh, and, you know, Cramer called for 
essentially, uh, you know, the way he handled it, he made it sound like it was a four-star quarter, delusional. He And Kramer said, this guy's got to be fired. So I think with all of that stuff happening with the quarterly, uh, you know, earnings report, you know, they, they had, they had to make a call and, and a few of the board members apparently reached out to Iger to feel out whether he'd be interested in coming back. And then, uh, the Friday, uh, uh, before that announcement, that's when Susan Arnold, the chairman uh, of the Walt Disney Company, she called Bob Iger and they struck a deal. And by the way, everybody says it's two. He's coming back for two years. That's flexible. You know, it's really about getting a successor in place. And you know, Bob's Bob's uh, greatest Bob Iger's greatest legacy will be putting in a good uh, successor. And he hasn't been able to do that yet. And that, you know, if you look at all the positives of Bob Iger, and there are a lot of positives, uh, and I'm glad he's back in the in the seat. And, you know, Al John, I, I had worked with him on a couple of things. I had interviewed him for my Oswald book. He's an cr- incredibly nice man, and he's also a fan of the company. You know, he understands the history. He grew up watching the Mickey Mouse Club in the 50s. You know, and I have to tell you, from my perspective, the the one negative thing on here is the succession for the company. Right. And he he really needs to address that. He really needs to get somebody in place to to, um, uh, you know, be groomed to take over and to take over for good. You know, the to be the next person who leads the company. That will be Bob Iger's greatest legacy uh, after, you know, uh, taking the company to new heights as he did during his 15 years as the CEO. Um, another interesting thing that I read, you know, uh, there was an executive uh, named Peter Rice uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, in charge of content. Uh, he came over with uh, uh, the purchase of the Fox assets and a very well-respected CEO, uh, excuse me, a very well-respected ex- executive who some thought could be a potential leading candidate to be CEO of Disney, and Chapek unceremoniously fired him. If you remember, yeah, we talked several, about that we, like we, six months ago or something. Fired the guy. Yeah, we talked. Well, about guess that. what? You know, Chapek was supposed to go on stage at the Elton John concert <laughs> because it was a Disney Plus event. That's right. And there was a whole slew of Disney Plus uh, executives that, that came to the concert, and including Kareem Daniels, who was the top lieutenant of Chapek's. That's right. Well, obviously, midday on Sunday, Chapek got word that he was canned. So he obviously didn't come to... Uh, Dodger Stadium, but Kareem Daniel was at uh, Do- Dodger Stadium, and uh, and as all these executives' phones started blowing up at the beginning of the concert, he hightailed it out of there. But guess who else was in the mix? Tim Peter Peter Rice uh, Peter Rice Peter Rice Peter Rice, the executive who Chapek sacked. He was at the concert enjoying the show. I bet he was. <laughs> I bet he was. Yeah. yeah you so, know, yeah. 
No, the other thing I was going to mention here, Al John, is that uh, uh, the first thing the first thing that uh, that uh, Bob Iger did, he sent an email to the entire staff, yeah, to all employees of the company, yeah, that he was coming back and that there's going to be changes. He also has been very uh, busy with sending out messages. He sent out a Thanksgiving message. He said on Twitter, giving thanks today to family, friends, and all of my new fellow employees and cast members at Walt Disney Company. It was always a privilege to work with you, uh, with all of you, and it certainly is a privilege to do it again. Happy Thanksgiving. So here is a CEO who is actually communicating and putting the staff at ease, the cast members at ease. He also was alarmed to learn about the increases in prices at the Disney theme park under Bob Chapek. Yeah. So, you know, something he's got his work cut out for him because honestly, uh, during the time, uh, during Chapek's time as CEO, he, he made no attempt to hide his efforts uh, to maximize profits at the park even if it meant uh, alienating the loyal Disney fan base in the process that that's coming from uh, uh, WDWmagic.com. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, again, I think that uh, Bob is doing, Bob Iger is doing a town hall meeting tomorrow today. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it, it's Monday, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Monday, November 28th, he's doing a town hall meeting with the entire uh, uh, company, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think, again, he's probably going to put people further at ease and he's making some major changes. And he, and by the way, that's the, the centralization that Chapek did where he put so much power in Kareem, Kareem Daniels' hands on, you know, budgets and uh, where films were going to be, you know, whether they'd go to the theater and then D Disney plus or straight to Disney plus and things like that. Uh, he, he's Bob, Bob Iger's already unwound that he's putting the power back into the hands of the creatives. There you go. There you go. And, that, and, and rightfully so it's a, it's a creative company. So when you look back on Bob Chapek, um, love him or hate him. I do respect the fact that he led the Walt Disney Company during an unprecedented time during COVID, trying to keep the wheels from falling off, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Not, But he did fall into some potholes, some really big ones. And, um, you know, and we can timeline that all. We, we you know, for, we, I, if you look back on the show during the era on our show and listen to our new segments, You'll you'll hear time after time, you know, foot and mouth, foot and mouth, foot and mouth. The Wall Street Journal interview was horrendous. I, I think it was, uh, you know, if, if that wasn't made to look like a hit piece, I don't know what is. I mean, that was, I, I think, you know, and he fell for it. He yeah. fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. The whole Jim Cramer thing, um, or, you know, CNBC, Mad Money guy saying, you know, fire him. You know, he should be gone. You know, with the death nail, something that everybody already knew. You know, listen right to the call. You know, I got to tell you, I I had done a lot of work with Bob Chapek um, uh, when I was at the company, uh, and when he was head of home entertainment. Yeah, 
you know, uh, because I, I had my finger in a lot of things that, you know, bonus material on, on DVDs and things like that. And, and I had the opportunity not only to, to meet him, uh, uh, but work with him and pitch to him and, you know, talk with him multiple times. I mean, uh, you know, through, you know, over years. And, and I will tell you, he's a nice guy. Yeah. He really is a nice guy. I like him. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't say I don't because he is a really nice guy, but he also is a guy that, uh, was more about the bottom line, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's when you start hearing about these things like yield management at the parks where they really, if they, if they had their choice, they'd pick and choose people who they knew were going to spend money in the park and forget about anyone else. Basically. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why how he made it sound. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, and and I respect you saying that because I think there is the human aspect, you yeah. know. But I think the thing is, is that some people were just not meant to be a leader of a company like Disney. And I'm not saying a leader, but a leader of a company like Disney. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. because you know you have to. Disney is a human, he said it himself and not so eloquent of words that Disney is a life, Disney's a lifestyle brand. If I could put it like that, I could put it like, yeah, it's a lifestyle brand that permeates through all of global pop culture uh, and human tapestry. When you think of stories, storytelling, living the Disney experience, we all, a lot of people do it. And when you're so, so much part of the, the fabric of culture, a global culture, it's hard to deny that impact, but it has to be done in a humanistic kind of way because that is what resonates with people. When you start talking yield management and people as ones and zeros and money and this and this and this, and and you remove that aspect from it every turn, you know, then we become, I, I literally, Dave, here's something I haven't said. I literally was going to just stop podcasting and just do the show with you because I was so disgusted about how I was being treated as a Disney fan. Mm. No, I, I, I hear you on that. And listen, I've been hearing it for for the last couple of years from people. I get notes privately from, from people, you know, they're, they're, they're direct messaging me on, uh, on Facebook and, you know, they're, they're grumbling about, you know, the, the price of tickets and the, this and the, that, what do I think about it? Well, you know, something, I, I go back to, you know, when Walt uh, built the park, uh, you know, there, there's this great story about the um, the Disneyland Gazette, the little newspaper early on in the park, right, that Marty Scalar was the editor of. And uh, and some some executives said to Walt that they could charge more for that. And Walt looked at the guy and said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this, but basically he said to this guy, you know, we don't have to make money on everything. You know, it, it, it's like keep it where we're just breaking even on that. You know, you, you don't have to charge, you know, you don't have to make a profit on every single thing. And I think the company would really be would benefit from a public relations standpoint to occasionally do those things 
where they they just decide not to make money on something, you know, break even. You know, you you don't want to give the farm away, but at the same time, you don't have to gouge people for every darn thing, you know, $30 for some collectible popcorn bucket or, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't have to do that. Yeah. You have to, you have to be very, you have to pick and choose, I feel. And, you know, Hey, maybe they'll bring back a year of a million dreams or the Disney dining plan. I don't know what it is. And we understand Disney's a premium brand. And I don't mind paying premium prices to get the experience that I had or, you know, had once upon a time, but I don't want to be treated as a one and a zero, Dave. No, because if I wanted to be treated as a one and a zero, I'd go somewhere else. And I hear you on that. And, and I'm hopeful. And I think, I think Bob Iger is going to be somebody who's going to be listening to that. And by the way, I also saw on social media, somebody saying, bring uh, uh, Gunny back to Disneyland. 100%. I, I mean, boy, you know, just just do it, man. Just bring Gunny back to Disneyland so he can do the flag ceremony in the evenings. Well, yeah. you know? Wouldn't it be great, Dave, if every week we had an awesome story to tell about the good things that are happening at Disney? Not that they never stopped. Because no, we, we yeah. talked hey, listen, about we this. Did, we, we, we did a whole episode with, with Heidi Gonzalez, yep. uh, Heidi Levine Gonzalez, uh, about Make-A-Wish and yeah. all the incredible stuff that the company does with Make-A-Wish. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to say, with this company and with the legacy and the brand that they have, uh, you know, you can do, and I think there's been a lot of damage done over the last couple of years to the brand itself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there, there, there are people, uh, you know, and I've seen it online, uh, just saying, I'm done with Disney. I'm not giving them any more money. Um, you know, there's fans that have turned their backs on the company and I have always taken the stance that, you know, I, I really enjoy the history of the company and I really enjoy what, what Walt set in motion and, and sort of you know, studying and writing about those periods, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and and try not to pay too much attention to what's happening today because it's infuriating. Mm -hmm. It really is infuriating, you know? Uh, and, and it's so, it's so easy for them to, uh, damage the brand and so hard to recover from that damage. You know, you're in, Bob Iger's seat, Dave. Give me three things that you would change immediately when you're in the role of CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Immediately. Well, I, you know, listen, I, I think he's already done it with uh, unwinding uh, some of these restructured uh, uh, groups, uh, this DMED uh, um, uh, group that handled uh, that that Kareem Daniels was in charge of. Uh, I, you know, Bob's already unwound, un, Bob Iger's already unwound that, uh, that was one of the first things he did last Monday. Uh, and so I think that was fantastic. Um, I think they have to seriously take a look at, um, you know, uh, the size of the company, because I do think that there needs to be some reduction. Uh, there's a lot of redundancy at the company, um, and I think that they do need to streamline some of the internal workings of the company. 
there's committees approving decisions that committees make. You know, you can't have that. It just becomes a quagmire of bureaucracy. And I do think that that needs to be straightened out. Uh, and it needs to be straightened out in a very uh, careful, humanizing way. You know, because these are people you're dealing with, and and it's also a company, it's also a publicly held company, and so they do have shareholders to report to, and so you know the company needs to be more efficient. So yes, that that needs to happen uh, right away. And 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 finally, I and I hope that he does this at the town hall meeting. He just needs to reassure the uh, the troops. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really needs to reassure the troops and really get them uh, pumped up for all the good things that are going to come in the future. There you go. You know, and, that, and that's 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 a leader. That's a true leader. He's going to have to make some hard choices. Obviously, you know, and I'll just rattle off a few. They they've got the Hulu, uh, the thirty percent of Hulu that they don't own. They're going to have to do something with now, you know, do they buy the rest of that or do they sell Hulu? They're going to have to make some tough choices there, uh, but that has to get resolved uh, for sure, you know, and uh, and he needs to uh, come up with, I think, a, a really great strategy uh, for the streaming service, mm-hmm. you know, because I do think that in some respects they've alienated uh, some of their core base. Uh, and, and by the way, there's a lot of stuff in the library that they can instantly put onto the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think they should put it on the platform and, you know, put a vault tile on, put, you know, put a tile on that is, you know, uh, content that, uh, you know, has a disclaimer to it. You know, I mean, you know, the company's become so afraid to put certain things out there, you know, and and, and by the way, there's certain cartoons that have maybe some inappropriate imagery that that's no longer, you know, appropriate for today's world. Well, you can go in and digitally fix some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, Walt would have done that. Yeah. Because he did. Because he he did did in the 50s and 60s with, you know, dicing, you know, editing stuff and cutting things up and showing portions of stuff and reusing material for this, that, and the other thing. I mean, you know, why not take some of this stuff that they say, oh, we can't show this because, you know, know, there's this or that in it. Well, you can go in and digitally fix those things and put that content up for people to enjoy. 100%. They will. They see. This is why we have it, Dave. Thank you. That was awesome. I appreciate that. And uh, you know, Bob Iger. It is. It, I am personally happy to see him back. He is not without. He is only human. He's not without yeah. his own faults himself. You know. Um. And there are some. But hey, look. This is what we have moving forward. And I think fans. Uh, we're looking forward to the next. Uh, the next steps that he's going to make in order to make Disney the, the, the company that it once was or what it can be to show its truest potential. Right. You know, something I'm not, I'm not advocating that you go backwards, but I am advocating that you, uh, uh, you know, do, do some, uh, do some repair work, you know, Uh, uh, embrace the fan base again, Uh, make them feel special. Don't make them feel like the ones and zeros that you're saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And, you know, some of that stuff, by the way, won't cost the company a dime. Mm-hmm. won't cost them a dime, you know? Right. 
I, I mean, that that's really what it boils down to is, is that, you know, what are those things that they can do that are going to make the fans feel special again? Exactly. Dave, we have, before we get into our interview, uh, some regretful news. Uh, Irene Cara, fame star and flash dance singer, has been found. She passed away at the age of 63, so young. And I remember yeah. seeing Irene Cara um, on Fame and Flashdance, that Oh, What a Feeling song. And uh, her death is unknown. But, you know, what What a beautiful human being and so tragic. Um, when the An word. incredible voice. Oh, you know, yes. and she was one of these rare um, entertainers who not only was a great singer, she was also a great actress. Yes. You know, and who could forget, I mean, that that title song, Fame. You know, it, it sends a chill up my spine when I hear it sometimes, yeah. you know, it really does. And I mean, this is such a shame. I mean, 63, it's too young, too young, super gifted, you know, but people will remember her name. Uh, yeah. To, she leaves, you know, she leaves behind a, a, a great body of work. Yeah. Awesome hit songs from her. And I have so many fond memories because growing up, you know, that's what I listened to, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, the Rolling Stones article posted, a uh, Irene Cara singing, what a feeling at the, uh, MDA telethon. And I used to love those MDA telethons mm -hmm. when they came on. Cause you got to see so many of your favorite uh, pop stars singing. And, uh, there she is in her prime. And, uh, it's a, it's a great story. Please check out the read on rollingstone.com. But, uh, once again, an awesome body of work and it's a, it's a shame, but, uh, rest in peace, Irene Cara. It is Andreas Deja month. So let's lean into the final installment, Andreas Deja, right here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, we're, we're back again with Andreas Deja. And I have to say, Andreas, welcome back. But also, this is unprecedented because you are the first guest to do four-part interview on the Skull Rock podcast. And, and of course, our audience is going nuts over this. But I just want you to know that Aljon and I conferred uh, off air, and we are <laughs> designating the month of November the uh, Andreas Deja Animation Month on the Skull Rock podcast. So there you oh. have it. You guys stop it. You make it kind of important or something, you know? Wait, I have a special effect for that. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Andres, it's so great to have you back, though, for part four of our conversation because there's just so much to talk about. And and I have to say, you're, you're not only, you know, an incredible animator uh and most of the most of our listeners know who you are and and you've done so many iconic uh, characters during the renaissance of Disney animation. Uh, but, you know, I, I just want our listeners to know that you are an incredibly humble individual and you're a super nice guy. And I'm honored to call you a friend and, and have, have really, you and I have worked together since Black Cauldron. Exactly. You know, uh, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so I want to jump back right into this again, because we left off on Emperor's New Groove and the fact that it was actually uh, called Kingdom of the Sun initially. And uh, you were developing Yzma on that uh, on that project before they decided to retool the whole story. And uh, essentially, uh, uh, everybody stopped working on it. Roger decided 
to leave because it wasn't the movie he wanted to make. Uh, and uh, and by the way, we did have Roger on many months ago, uh, and he talked about the whole Kingdom of the Sun uh, vision that he had, which I, I remember seeing the visual development artwork in the hallways, and it was just absolutely stunning. I wish they made that movie. Uh, but uh, you put your pencil down on Emperor's New Groove, and you essentially moved on to Lilo and Stitch. Tell us how that came about. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, we the animators had some down downtime while the studio was trying to find a new version, you know, for for this project. And um, I just went to the third floor, and the third floor at that time in the animation building was was reserved for new projects, new ideas, possible new movies, and and all of that. So I go upstairs and uh, I see on one of the boards a drawing. I go nice watercolor drawing of a little girl, sort of cartoony, but really sweet looking. And she's holding a fish and she's standing in the water, like uh, by the by the beach. And she was wearing this Hawaiian outfit. And I'm like, what on earth is this? And you immediately connect to something like that, you know, visually. It's like, I need to find out about what is going on here. What is this? So I run into... Uh, Chris Sanders and Dean Dubois, and they told me that they had been working on this for a while. And they said, well, if you're interested, uh, come by tomorrow and we'll pitch you what we have so far. So I said, I would absolutely love to. And so that's what happened. Uh, I I, uh, went into the meeting with them and uh, they told me basically that this is a movie about a little Hawaiian girl who's lonely and she, she, she wants to adopt the dog, and she gets the dog, but it turns out the dog is an alien from outer space. It told me this whole crazy but wonderful concept, and I'd, I'd never heard anything like that. It sounded so fresh and spontaneous that uh, I, I just got all excited about it. And then uh, after that meeting, <clears throat> I remember going into Tom Schumacher's uh, office. He was heading up feature animation at the time, and I said, Tom, if, if there's a way for me to be connected with that movie. I would love to. And he said, well, he thought about it. And then he said, uh, we can make that happen. Um, but I want you to know that we're not animating this in Burbank. In Burbank. This is a project for the Florida studio. So you would have to go to Orlando. <clears throat> and I said, I don't care if this is going to be animated in Timbuktu. I want, I want to be associated with this film. I, I just love it so much. So that meant, of course, going to Orlando for, I think I was there for two and a half years. So so did so you moved down to Orlando for two and a half years. Did mm-hmm. you drive cross country or did you fly there and get a car or how, how did all that work for you? I'm just curious, you know, I know. Because, because we we actually had Aaron Blaze on as a guest and Aaron was talking about driving cross country from Orlando to Los Angeles, and Los Angeles back to or- or Orlando. So how about you? What did you do? It was different in my case. Uh, they actually <laughs> flew me over there and then took my car and shipped it separately. Oh, nice. Okay. The train. I, I will always remember when a driver came by in front of the animation studio in Orlando, and there was my green Mercedes, you know, coming around the corner. It was just weird. <laughs> it was odd. But uh, I, I had my car back, yeah. <clears throat> did, you, did you ever have a thought about driving cross-country and seeing, seeing America? No, I should have. Uh, I've done some driving around the States, but not like cross, cross country. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think what was on my mind is to, to, to get started on, on sure. the film, you yeah. know, 
that was on my mind. And uh, I, you know, I think one of the most beautiful things about Lilo and Stitch was that uh, Dean and Chris brought back that watercolor look uh, that was so prevalent at the studio back in the '30s. Uh, and even on, you know, Snow White and Pinocchio is more refined, but it was the beautiful layered washes and things that they, they did with the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your feeling when you saw all of that? Well, I certainly liked the idea of that because I, I, I love that vintage look and I was all for it. And uh, the, the background guys had started to do some watercolor studies, you know, they were just basically paint what they saw outside, you know, tourists and palm trees and uh, all of that stuff. And uh, I remember looking at their work, their early work, and these were just studies, thinking like, ah, that doesn't look like an, a background for animation. That looks too too rough or too, the colors are too bright, you know, even though they were nice looking images and paintings, but uh, for animation, uh, I, I thought they hadn't quite gotten there yet. Yeah. So um, everything changed. They, the, this group of background painters, they went back to L.A. and uh, actually found a background painter who worked on Snow White. And that was Maurice Noble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they, they just hit him up and they said, can you please tell us a secret of watercolor or the way you painted way back? Mm-hmm. So he taught and he gave him a crash course, you know, and told him it's all about layers and what kind of paint you should use, what kind of paper you want to. You want to try out, and he, he basically told them his secrets of, of how they were painting way way back. And these guys, it was like instant change. You know, they came back on that, that trip and started to paint real backgrounds that you could use in a in a film with mood and and great lighting. You know, and uh, I was like, my God, these guys—they got it! They got it finally. It's 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 here, vintage watercolor. Yeah, I mean it's it's really a beautiful uh, picture, and it's a departure from what was going on at the time, uh, yeah. you know. And, and again, I think you know through that whole period uh, uh, of the nineteen nineties into the early two thousands, uh, every picture had a, a very distinct look to it, uh, and, and certainly Lilo did. Uh, when did you guys go to Hawaii for the research trip? It was pretty early on before we started to get into production this this is usually when these uh, trips happen and what i remember from that trip is uh well first of all uh they didn't have the budget to fly everybody business class you know this whole group of people there was rick sluder and uh uh, i think paul felix was part of that group uh there were layout people background people i think i was the only animator at, at that time uh chris and dean it would be a big group a lot of business class seats you know to fly us out there so to save some money, we all flew coach, including Chris and Dean. You wow! Know, they said they said we don't want to be the only ones. You know, if the if the budget is limited to to fly over there, we want we want all of you guys to come as well. Therefore, we're going to fly coach as well. So that, that's that that that's camaraderie, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, it really is being being team players. You know, so sure. we all, we all got there. You know, and. Uh, um, and then it was time to just observe and and uh, the the background and layout people uh, painted or drew sunsets and architecture and and trees and all of that. And uh, then I thought, well, what should I do? Because uh, this is not the kind of stuff I would I would draw. 
And then um, they said, uh, you know, maybe uh, you can go to a local school. Because at that time, it was pretty certain that I would animate Lilo. Uh-huh. Um, so from so for me, it was all about little little kids and girls. And they said, there's a school down there. And we, we, had, to, we, we had this local guide who took us around in his, in his van, the island. Um, and um, or the islands, we went to several. And uh, he said, there's a school... And he said, I can't promise that they would let you in because they don't like people snooping, you know, from, from the mainland. They, sure, sure. They call, they call it the mainland. But we can try. And so he drove us down there, knock at, at, knock at the door, and the door opened. And there was a teacher uh, in this half-open doorway and, and a bunch of little, little kids. And I explained that we are from Disney. We're going to make a movie uh, set in Hawaii and... Uh, with her Hawaiian culture and, and all of that. And we wanted to do some research and I, I would animate a little Hawaiian girl, whether I could come in and sketch the kids. And, uh, but since I mentioned Disney um, and having worked at Disney or having done some movies for them, one little girl asked me, uh, did you work on The Little Mermaid? And I said, yeah, I drew her father, King Triton. And instant, all of the kids went, yay! You know, it was like the magic word, <laughs> Little Mermaid, you know? Come yeah. on in! And that, that broke the ice. And then I would just sit way back in the, in the, in the class, sometimes in front of the class, and uh, just observe these kids, how they behave during class, sometimes being kind of fidgety, you know, and not wanting to really pay attention. That would do these awkward gestures. Or at play during recess, and they were playing in the, in the courtyard. And uh, so I would just fill up sketchbooks. And it, it, it was so much fun, so much fun. What what uh, what comes to mind? I mean, you spent two and a half years down in Orlando. Uh, what comes to mind for you uh, when you think about that picture? What stands out um, aside from doing, you know, the great animation on a beautiful picture? Well, it's just uh, that I had never had a character like Lilo. Uh, you have to pretty much internalize her spirit and understand her her loneliness and kind of animate, you know, those qualities and coming from uh, from those things. Uh, I really hadn't done a character like that, and I I I did get really into it and uh, you know try to feel her pain as I was animating because there were scenes like that we where where she felt betrayed by Stitch and uh, really deeply emotional scenes and I. Remember something uh, very strange, at least uh, from my perspective. I uh, I had lunch at one of the Walt Disney World restaurants with a friend of mine who had come visiting from Los, Los Angeles, and uh, so we had dinner. And he asked me what I what, what I was working on at that time, uh, and I said, "Well, I'm doing this little scene with Lila where she is actually uh, in a hammock with her older sister Nani." And uh, uh, she's trying to understand what her sister is telling her because uh, her sister knows that she can't keep Lilo, that Lilo has to be given to an orphanage and, uh, and she can't come up with the right words. And Lilo's trying to understand what is going on here. And she, she's, she's moving in the hammock toward her sister and they embrace each other. And as I was telling that scene, I, I, I actually teared up. And I'm going like, wow, that's a new one. You know, how can you, how can you tear out? It's just animation and drawings, you know. So that never happened to me before. 
but but that's the emotion you were pulling out of what you were yeah, doing. Yeah, but I was I was actually definitely feeling that myself. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't tear up. I got really really emotional just talking about it. Yeah, wow, that that's so amazing, isn't it? You yeah, know, I, I I have to tell you, you know that that just reminded me, and I'm going to jump back in time a little bit to Lion King. Do you remember some of the letters that came into the studio when Lion King first released? And and how uh, there were there there were single parents, you know, a, a mom writing in about uh, the loss of her husband and the father of her her son, and how the Lion King actually helped uh, the son deal with the death of the, of his father when when he watched Lion King and saw the death of Mufasa, you know. I mean, you know, even now when I start to talk about that, you get kind of choked up over it because you, yeah. you, you, I think that was the first time a lot of us were realizing what we were doing on some of these films and more so the character guys, because those are the, the characters are front and center, uh, how they were touching people's lives, you know? Yeah, you don't really think about that. When, when you work on the film, you just want to do a good job. You want to, you, you want to, entertain audiences, you know, and that, that kind of thing. But yeah, through those letters or in conversations afterwards, just like you said, the, the impact that our films have on, on people is just stunning. Just recently, uh, through a friend of a friend, I got in touch with a guy from Canada. And so he tells me this whole story. So he's a, he's a big TikTok star now. Uh, but he tells me the story that he, he, that Hercules changed his life. He used to be uh, a very large person, and uh, he wasn't happy. And then he saw Hercules, and uh, he 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 just liked who Hercules was, his his honesty, what he was trying to achieve, uh, and all of that. And it it changed him so much that now he looks like Hercules. He's completely ripped. He's a gym person. Wow. You know, uh, he's done some modeling. Uh, he. Uh, he, he just looks like Hercules, you know, and completely turned his life around. He gives these these online uh, gym sessions, classes and all of that. But he says, if it wasn't for Hercules, I wouldn't look this way and I wouldn't be this healthy and, and all of that. And what? That's just crazy. You know, so, I mean, honestly, how does that make you feel when you when you hear those kinds of stories as the years go on? Because all of these films continue to resonate and impact people from generation to generation. How, how does that make you feel? Uh, good. <laughs> I, I mean, how can it not? Uh, again, when you when you do your movie, when when you're working on it, you hope it's going to be a box office success that year. In order, in, in order for for the studio to keep going with more animated films, that's that's what's on your mind. Yeah. And all, all of this, the impact that it had, how, how how some characters or some films can can change people's lives. That's just that's just amazing. I mean, almost beyond words. Yeah. It, it really. I mean, it, it, it's it's amazing to meet people on a regular basis who say a film that you might've been involved with and how much it touched their lives. Uh, I, I'll give you one more quick uh, example. Uh, after Aladdin had come out, I get this phone call from this lady who had sort of this British accent. And uh, she just said she um, would love to visit me with her little son uh, because her son was 
so fascinated by the movie Aladdin, specifically with the character of Jafar, that for the first time, he actually picked up some crayons and started drawing. He had never drawn before. This wow. little kid. He was maybe, oh, I want to say six at the, at the at the time. So she came by and he had this pile of drawings of, of Jafar that he had done. They, they were good too, for a six-year-old. And uh, she just wanted to thank me for helping to bring that out in him because all kids do, all kids draw, of course, but he hadn't. So he was just fascinated with uh, Jafar and uh, and we stayed in touch for a while. That kid is now an, an actor, actually, and wow. is is in all kinds of TV shows and all of that. Uh, so yeah, uh, again, something you don't expect that your work could have that kind of effect effect on somebody. I just had this vision of the kid visiting you and him coming in in a long dark robe with a <laughs> with a turban on and walking very slowly and menacing. If you, if you had the outfit, you probably would have, you know. I could see him in the hallway doing this the entire time, like yeah, hmm. scheming, scheming, scheming twirling his mustache. Uh, so uh, from Lilo and Stitch. You uh, when you you came back to Los Angeles and and you worked on Home on the Range. Yeah, but not that much. Uh, they had uh, actually finished the film, but there were some changes that either management was asking for or they questioned some of the, the early work that they had done. So I think I might I might have done no, no more than twelve scenes. Okay, uh, so that, it, that was it, it was it was a brief respite. It was. Before you went on to uh, Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas as an animation consultant, right? Bambi Two as an animation consultant, mm -hmm. and then you worked as an animator on Enchanted. Mm -hmm. And uh, Enchanted that was that was a live action animated uh, combination film. Yeah, so that wasn't too foreign to me in terms of technique because I had done that on Roger Rabbit, oh, right? Yeah, and uh, even though a lot of the the animation was set to animated backgrounds also. I mean, there were, there were, yeah. uh, 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 it wasn't just only a combination with live action and, and animation. So I did a whole, I kind of jumped around on, on, on that film, did a bunch of characters, did the ogre, did some of uh, the lead character, Giselle, did uh, some of the old witch. So I kind of jumped around and did a little bit of this and that. And uh, and that was a busy year for you because 2007 you did Enchanted and you did uh, How to Hook Up Your Home Theater. Yeah, that was a fun one. Oh, I was going to say, I mean that that uh, was a throwback to the 1930 or 19 or 40s uh, mm -hmm. how to Goofy cartoons. Yeah, it was the same thing. You know, we looked at all the Goofy models over the years and still uh, sort of agreed that. Uh, late 30s, early 40s, was the best-looking Goofy. So we took that one and tried to animate him. But uh, I, I love that short uh, because it's taking a vintage character but putting him into uh, a contemporary it's, okay. situation. Yeah, okay. It's all about TV and technology and how yeah. you can get overwhelmed. And I think the comedy works really well. And it's 
one of my favorite shorts that I that I worked on. It's it it, it really is a beautiful short and uh, and beautifully done, and, and touches on something that I think uh, is going to resonate over time. I mean, that's going to be a short that you could watch a hundred years from now, and people will still be struggling with hooking up their electronic equipment. I don't care what time frame it is; it's it's always the case, right? It was uh, the old yeah. joke about trying to set the time on your VCR. You know, yeah, uh, the old yeah. VCR and Al John, you got something to say, say about that. Just so you know, gentlemen, that that <laughs> was my life in college because I worked at a circuit city and I did exactly what Goofy did during that time. I could relate 100%. You were, so that you were guy. Goofy one. I was the Goofy one, actually. Yeah. I was helping people that were doing Goofy and I was trying to help them out, but occasionally I would be Goofy. <laughs> You, you know, I, I have to tell you, though, I, I really marvel at your versatility, uh, Andreas. Uh, I, I really have, because you can go from an adult Hercules to a Mickey Mouse to, you know, uh, a Lilo. Uh, you could jump into the very stylized Home on the Range, Alameda Slim, uh, and, and uh you know, go in, jump back to Goofy, and then you, you go from how to hook up your home theater to Princess and the Frog, and you're the supervising animator for Mama Odie uh, and uh, for uh, Juju. Uh, and Mama Odie is a great character. I mean, talk about a character that is a character, right? That's why I wanted to animate her. Uh, when uh, we found out that they're gonna start casting the animators soon. I wanted to make sure that I knew all the characters that they had in the movie. And I know she she was the one that appealed to me right away. Because again, I hadn't done a character like that. She was gonna be this 200 something year old lady who lived in a boat that got stuck during a storm in a, in a tree, you know? And what is more fun than and that kind of concept. And she had a so, mystical quality. There, there was a, sort right. of a, a mis, mystical facet to her. Almost like a fairy godmother type. Yeah, yeah. A little, little, little bit of that mixed in. But the whole idea that she can't see, but of course she knows where, she, where she's at. She knows her, her boat that she lives in. All that really, really appealed to me. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's again shifting gears. And uh, I'm, I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to do all those different parts, you know, that, yeah. that, that Ron and John way back didn't insist that I do Hades, that I had a choice in the yeah. whole thing. And uh, I'm just really happy that I had to, that I had, had the chance to do all these different character concepts, like you said, because it's just, it, it it's just fun to try something different, you know. Now, with, with uh, Princess and the Frog, did you did you go on uh, a research trip? Did you go down to Louisiana, uh, New Orleans, uh, or any of that? With the you know, for some reason, I missed I missed that research trip. There was one, yeah, um, and it might have had to do, or I'm sure it had something to do with what I was doing at that time. Um, maybe it was the Goofy film. You might have been uh, finishing, finishing up the Goofy short, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the biggest disappointment I had in terms of research trips uh, was was for Lion King because um, you didn't the go, animators, you didn't go on the safari, did you? We were finishing up Aladdin, like doing overtime to finish that movie, and all of a sudden, in the in the lobby of the uh, studio, there I see suitcases gathering and you know background painters and layout guys and directors, and we're like, where are you going, Africa? Well, can't you, <laughs> can't you wait for us? You know, 
We're going to be done in a few, a few weeks. No, we have to leave right now because the raining season is going to start over there and we can't go there. And I said, well, have a great time. You know, I was disappointed. <laughs> I wanted to go to Africa, yeah, of course. Absolutely. And, and, I, and, and I did get to go, but on, on my own a few years later. Yeah, yeah. I, I, did, I, were, I went to on a fantastic trip to the Kruger National Park in South Africa and at the time of my life. But I wasn't part of that research trip. The, on uh, Princess and the Frog, uh, what stands out for you? Because you obviously you had a great character to to really wrap your arms around, uh, and she is a memorable character uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but uh, on that picture, uh, what what jumps to mind for you? Yeah, just to play with eccentricities that I could invent for Mama Odie. I was very happy that they like the idea that Mama Odie has a lot of folds and loose flesh because she's she's old, you know. And uh, I kind of played with that in Squash and Stretch, the way her neck folds would react to her dialogue. That was really, really fun to play with. Um, and uh, uh, again, it's a bit of a challenge to, to do acting scenes with a character whose eyes you can't see. You know, she was wearing these dark sunglasses. Yeah. And uh, there was one time where I, Early on, I actually argued. I said, "Well, maybe she can she can just have her eyes closed always, just not open them." But the glass is kind of. I think I need the, the eyebrow eye unit to show change of expression. And they said, "No, I, th- I think we want to keep the glasses tried out." So I think I managed okay to show those mood changes because she has these uh, eyebrow folds over each eye. And they can come down or go up, you know, and uh, you see kind of a graphic change there. So that worked out in the end okay. Um, there was one little thing I did that many people don't know about. <clears throat> uh, uh, there was a scene during her song where she's singing to the frogs. Uh, uh, and uh, she was singing, I don't remember the, the line exactly, you know, something, something about gathering things. And there was this big chest in in her boat and she's going through it and you see her back you're throwing all these things out like a, a shoe a book a hammer uh and um there was time for one more item she would throw and i thought okay one more i have a few frames i need to ever grab something else and i couldn't think of something that would be entertaining or fun or I mean, it could have been a sock or, or a shirt, boring, 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 you know? I couldn't think of anything. So I was staring at my animation disc and I'm going like, you know, you know what? She's going to throw this animation disc. <laughs> and, and so you know, it's in, is it in there? It's in there for three frames, two or three frames. I, I'm, I'm going to have to go look at that now. I, I yeah, really am. I'm, I'm going to have to look at that because this is a this is an exclusive, Al John. We're we're getting some exclusive inside information from our friend Andreas Deja. I love it that there is a animation disc being thrown it's, by uh, Mama Odie in the Princess and the Frog. It's kind of a secret, uh, but uh, here it is. And uh, uh, the funny thing is this: I animated it clean and you know you see the peg bars you see the, the glass the frame and all that drew it all out and then i was expecting a call from checking for sure you know or did you think you paid like what is this what is this you know and you know what nothing everybody knew what it was yeah. everybody painted it the, the way it was supposed to be painted it went through like smooth 
no arguing, no, no, nothing, because everybody got it who, who was part of the That's pipeline. Right. You know, getting and, it to, and, and to by the way, it. three frames, we as people in animation will pick up on three frames. Most most oh, yeah, people totally. in the public won't. Right? Right. Most most people won't. You you'd have to you'd have to go frame by frame to see some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I I want people to to check it out and you know make sure that they see that that, that actually happened, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And, and you know something, I think the animators and the artists have fun when they're doing pictures and little things like that sneak in. They're harmless. They're fun little things. I I actually uh, um, on uh, Rescuers Down Under, Frank the Lizard. Do you remember the character? Frank yeah, the Lizard? I do. He was throwing a bunch of stuff. And one of the things he throws is a can. And I animated that can. I put a label on it. It's, it's again, in there for three or four frames at best. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a can of Bossert Lizard Chow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just fun to do that. You know, I mean, you, you leave your mark here and there. It's harmless. No, you it's can, it's right. fun stuff. So at this time with, with, with Princess and the Frog, the studio is really starting to transition pretty heavily into CG animation. Yep. Right. Uh, yeah. Because you've got Meet the Robinsons in development, uh, and and I think even in pre-production at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chicken Little, I think, is being uh, that's right. Uh, is in development. Uh, what we what was your feeling? I, I want I want you to talk a little bit about your feeling about that transition that was starting to happen. Yeah, I was a little naive actually. I thought that Disney is certainly a studio that can do all kinds of animation. After all that worked with Tim Burton on stop motion, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, that was one type of animation. Uh, CG animation, of course, it's great. That opens up new new possibilities for storytelling. But I thought, surely they're going to keep 2D going because that's their their heritage, you know. So I I really didn't give that enough thought, uh, as I should have. At, at, at that time, when all these CG films were being worked on uh, within, within the studio, not just at Pixar but at Disney, and uh, then uh, to, not to jump ahead here, but uh, when um, we were done with Princess and the, you know, we were actually done with Winnie the Pooh, which was my last feature at, at Disney with the Winnie the Pooh feature, and uh, what was planned originally was for the 2D crew to do a musical feature called the snow queen right and, and the development work on that looked amazing paul felix had outdone himself with these fantastical snow palaces and uh snow and, f- and, and that was uh, uh that was paul and gaetan britzy that were working on uh, the snow queen at the time if I they also had a name. version of, yeah they had they, a version of that yeah yeah and uh, and a few other people had uh, had yeah. done some step work but the the, the uh, visuals look, looked amazing. And then there was talk that Bette Midler might be the Snow Queen to get a little comedy in there. And I thought, well, she's an amazing actress and com- comedian. So that, that sounded good to me. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I think we had about a month or six weeks left on Winnie the Pooh. We were called into the theater, the animation studios theater, and uh, we had a meeting with management and we were told Basically, the way they put it to us was, we have good news and bad news. The, he said, the good news is we are going to do, we are going to make Snow Queen, 
But the bad news for you guys is that it's going to be a CG feature. So it's going to be the CG crew who's going to be making that. And even, they, even then I thought, okay, all right, let's see then what's, what's up for, for us next instead. And one of the 2D guys actually raised his hand and says, well, then can the 2D artists uh, do some research and come up with ideas for us, for our next feature? And, and the answer was very quick and a little cold, and it was just no. Wow. And that was it. That was it. And I'm going like, okay, I, I know where this is he- headed. I even understood it because we, we all know the box office and what the box office was in those days. Sure. And uh, I said, but I, I, I need a clean cut here. So I went to Anne LeCam, Human Resources, uh, the next day, and I told Anne, I said, Anne, I'm going to have uh, 30, oh, I've been here for just over 30 years. And, and if, if, this is becoming, if this is becoming a, a CG studio only, I, I think it's time for me to do my own thing. And I, I understand you guys and Anne and the management team, they understood me as well. So it was a mutual part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but but I mean, you know, after Princess and the Frog, you did do you were an animator on uh, Ballad and Nassie, and again, th- this speaks to your incredible uh, versatility to me because you went from Princess and the Fo- uh, Frog and Mama Odie, uh, which is you know a very dimensional character that that had a lot of uh, personality to her. Uh, you and, and uh, you know again a rounded character. You went on to uh, uh, the Ballad of Nessie, which was much more graphic. Yeah, but it's it it's fun to know bo- both styles or several styles. You yeah, know? of course. As the, as the Disney style changed over the years, from the rounded Bambi, yeah. Pinocchio, Dumbo, where everything was just so dimensional and sculpted, to, to the graphic Sleeping Beauty, underwater animations. If you love it all, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and from Nessie, from that short Nessie, you you did do Winnie the Pooh. You were supervising animator of Tigger. What a fun, great character to sort of, you know, end your run at at Disney, you know, on those features. I mean, wouldn't you say, I mean, I mean, that that's kind of a fun, beautiful character. I was, I was absolutely thrilled uh, when I got to do Tigger and the way that casting went, uh, it wasn't like, well, how about you doing this character and Mark and you doing this character? It was more, uh, why don't you guys, we, we have a little downtime, downtime for you guys right now. Why don't you do pencil tests of a or two characters you would like to animate? And then we take a look at those and we'll see how you connect uh, an, uh, animation-wise with that character. So I said, well, I'm going to do a couple of ticker tests for, for sure and did do a couple of ticker tests and sold it and you know they actually had me on yeah. Tigger. and i was so thrilled because uh as you might know dave will call was the original designer and animator of tigger is one of my all-time favorite artists of all time oh, and, and, and i and i do want our listeners to know by the way aren't you sitting at milt's desk yes the you you and i hope you don't mind me saying that but i've been to your studio and i know you have a beautiful 1939 chem weber animators desk and it had belonged to milt call and the reason why i know this because people might question that the reason why i know it's his because there are press photographs of milt called sitting at his desk animating tram animating prince philip animating king louis 
and it's always the same desk because the wood grain is different on each side of for each desk. It's very yeah. particular. Also, when you open up the lower right-hand drawer, there's a serial number on, on, on the side, and that's 1260. So it's it's the same. And, and, and you can go back into the, the, the Walt Disney archives, and they have the inventory sheets, and they can tell what animator was, had that desk. Yeah. which is wonderful because that's the provenance of the desk. Right. But I, I, I just found out through photos, uh, press these press photos that I had, you know, and, oh, okay, here's a animating King Louie and he has his drawer open and it says 1260 and look at the wood grain. It's yeah. doing this, it's doing that. That's the desk. So yeah. I'm absolutely thrilled to have it. Now, has it helped me to do better animation? I don't think so, but it's just a cool thing to have. But but to me, the desk has it has a soul to it. When you sit at a Ken Weber desk, it absolutely has a soul. You know you're sitting at something that other artists had sat at and had done great work on. Uh and and that's what I love about the the original Ken Weber uh, furniture. And they're absolutely amazing. I mean, there's so much history. Yeah. Like you said, so many great things have been worked on at this desk that, that you're still in awe, you know. I mean, yeah. Jungle Book, Lady in the Tramp, you know, whatever was done on that desk. It's just just amazing. And I'm thrilled to have it, obviously. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. It, it's and, and by the way, you know, I'm sitting at my Ken Weber desk right here. So <laughs> everybody should have a Ken Weber desk. I, I know everybody should. Uh, but uh, so Winnie the Pooh is really the last picture, and and I want to transition now because I've been waiting, waiting to talk to you about the short film that you have been working on for quite a number of years. And, and I had visited with you a number of years ago before the pandemic, I, I came over to your house and you showed me, uh, uh, I think a couple of scenes mm -hmm. uh, uh, of the film in progress. So can you tell our listeners, what is this short film and you are producing and directing it? So I, I want to make no bones about that. You are producing, directing, and animating on this. And obviously you have other people involved, but what is the film? What's the title? Tell us about it. Great. Yeah, be happy to. Um, the film is titled Mushka, which is a Russian word that means uh, sweetheart. So a grandmother would call her granddaughter, oh, my little Mushka. Uh, you know, so it's a word of endearment. And it's also the name of the title character, who happens to be a Siberian tiger. Um, and um, I can give you like a quick rundown, like the essence of the story. But maybe going back a little bit, uh, the, the way I came to actually do this project even. And uh, so in those uh, months after leaving Disney, I realized, okay, you can do a little bit of teaching. You can do animated TV commercials or something like that. But what I really needed was a, a sizable project. And then I, I just asked myself a series of questions uh, that led me to this project. And the first question I asked myself, what do you like to draw most? Animals. I just, I'm crazy about animals. I love studying them and I like drawing them, animating them, all of that. What would be a cool animal to animate that you haven't animated yet? Well, I have some experience with lions on Lion King with big cats, anatomy and all that, but how about a tiger with all those stripes that define the form, 
the anatomy and all that. It'll be a really wonderful thing to animate. And then in terms of story, well, how about if I pair this potentially very dangerous animal with an innocent girl, you know, pre, pre-teen, teenage years, you know, so eight-year-old girl. And, uh, and then uh, I, had, I had some rough idea, which is sort of the center of the story. I thought, what if she, what if she raises this orphan tiger cub and then they have their bond uh, throughout the year and she, the tiger gets bigger, of course. But then the girl called Sarah uh, finds out that there are people around them who want to kill the tiger and sell him because a dead tiger is worth a ton of money. And uh, she finds out about that and, of course, she wants to save him from these bad people. And the only thing she can think of is to save him is to take him back into deep into the forest where she found him and hopefully he will stay and learn how to become a wild tiger far away from humans that that was my very simple story idea but it had no beginning or an end it was sort of like the middle part so knowing that that that's that story is my shortcoming here uh, what do you do when you reach out to people who have experience in this Correct, and, and I have this very good friend who, though, has never worked for a studio, always for himself. But he's one of those freewheeling artists. He does architecture. He designs homes. He writes novels, poetry, uh, anything artistic he does. Okay? But has always worked for himself. I said Micah, you have no f- formulas uh, in your work. Here's the idea so far, which is what I just told you. And uh, can you flesh this out? And he said, let me see what I can, what I can do. And so uh, I remember getting a phone call after about a week, and he said, you know, um, this whole thing about setting the story in India, of course, that was the first location that we had in mind, Tigers, you think about India. And uh, he said, there's something too familiar about it with the Jungle Book, and uh, there was a tiger there, and this, this young girl, you know, sort of like Mowgli, it's, you know. and then." So it didn't feel right to him. And then, but then it was my idea. He said, wait a minute, hold on a second. Which country has the, lar- the largest tigers in the world? That's the Siberian tiger. Let's go to Siberia and have the story there because there are not many animated films dealing with that part of the world. And then right. it became all about the snow, the ice, uh, you know. And then, ironically, uh, we have the story, uh, since it's set in 1976, uh, we had the story start in Kiev, uh, uh, where the girl uh, Sarah grows up with her uh, grandmother, and then it's it actually most of the film is set in the east, where where she's visiting and seeing her father, who works in the mines in Siberia. Uh, so ironically, that's a different topic these days. Sure, but of course we started to to uh, frame that out nine, eight, nine years ago. Right. So yeah, and we're almost done with it. Uh, we we uh, uh, the only the only people working on this right now is Skywalker Sound doing the final sound mixing. So they so have that, it right now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So you're you're going up to Skywalker Sound to to do the final mix on the uh, on the movie, and and then what what happens next? Where where is it going to premiere? We uh, we hope in Berlin at the Berlin Film Festival in Feb- February. It's sort of an obvious thing. First of all, it's it's a great festival. 
big international festival. It would be sort of a homecoming for me, you know, for, for I, me. I was going to say, I mean, it seems natural because you are yeah. a German American and you were yeah. born in Germany. So it seems, it, it seems like, yes, it's a homecoming for you to, to premiere this film uh, at the Berlin film festival. So uh, we submitted it already as a, as a work in progress uh, and which, which you can do for that festival. And as soon as I have the updated version or the final version, then I resubmit. And uh, I talked to them about it when that would be, and they were all fine with my uh, timetable. So that's the first one. And then other festivals, as as you well know, would be on a sea. There's one in Spain called Animayo. So basically doing the festival circuit next year. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, and I'm hoping you know, through some of those festival screenings, those will qualify you for Academy consideration, won't you? That is one of the main reasons. I mean, one is to create a buzz yeah. for, the, for the film that it might win something along the way and then qualify for uh, the Academy Awards in 2024. Fantastic. Well, I, you know, something I, I have to tell people, I had a sneak peek at it uh a number of years ago uh i can't wait to see it finished uh, i'm i'm so thrilled and have to say congratulations to you for getting your own film finished uh think, especially especially with the pandemic raging and everything you know but uh, something uh didn't keep us from keeping going during the pandemic because whoever was helping out at that time could work from home yeah so nobody had to come to my home or spend time or anything like that. So we just kept on, on going through the pandemic. Yeah. We, I, I think, I think animation in general did very well during the pandemic because everybody was able to work at home and then to, you know, jump on uh, zoom calls or uh, uh, just pick up the phone and talk to somebody, you know, FaceTime or whatever uh, uh, it allowed, it allowed the entire animation industry to really uh, do very well during the pandemic. We even had a Zoom call with the, the orchestra, uh, which we picked uh, uh, an orchestra in Vienna, Austria. It, it's the uh, um, uh, Stage Vienna Orchestra, I think that's what they're called. Uh, anyway, they, they do they do a big orchestra. They do a lot of the Marvel content for Disney Plus. Sure. Um, a lot of the Star Wars series. Mm-hmm that are being scored. It's just a great soundstage. And uh, they do independent films with independent rates attached to them, which I which I, I was very grateful for. Uh, but we actually scored that about a month ago and through Zoom from here. And they were playing 60-piece orchestra was playing live in, in <laughs> a, Vienna. It was an amazing day. Just That's, amazing. That is so fantastic. Um, I have to say, Andreas, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and also to designate November Andre, Andreas Deja <laughs> on the Skull Rock podcast. But, uh, no, it was such a pleasure having you on for the these past four weeks. And uh, I have to say, uh, first, I want to wish you the best of luck with the film in the festival circuit. Thank and you. I look forward to having you back next year after you've won a bunch of awards at these festivals uh, uh, to talk a little bit about how things are going. And maybe we could touch on a few things that we, we sort of skipped over like the Simpsons TV series and quack pack and a few other things. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Andreas. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
some real user power. Your weekly immersion into all things Disney. Can you believe it? An entire month with Andrea Stasia. And, and well-deserved. I mean, you know, he, he, he's an incredible, incredible animator and an incredible, nice guy. Uh, <laughs> and, and I just enjoy talking with him. And, and I will tell you, I cannot wait for people to see his short film. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to see a, a small piece of it. Uh, when I was at his house uh, a while back. Uh, and I have to tell you, you know, he, he's a great animator and uh, I can't wait for this, this short film to go out in the world uh, for, and, and, and hopefully it showcases at the Berlin film festival. Right on. Looking forward in to February. That. Yeah. Looking forward to that for sure. Uh, I don't know where else to, you know, what else we could talk about. We talked about so much this episode. It was like an XXXL episode uh, of our show, but uh, man, we covered a lot and I'm so happy that everyone is still on board for the ride. Uh, we've got so many great more interviews coming up and uh, great shows. Can't wait for you guys to be part of it. Feel free to follow us on all our social media. We would love that if you would. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also follow us or send us those uh, emails there at uh, davidskullrockpodcast.com or aljohnatskullrockpodcast.com. Uh, we'd appreciate you just giving us a like, share, give us those five-star reviews if you think we deserved it. If you think we've earned it, we'd appreciate it as well. Every little bit helps the algorithm. I'd also like to give a shout-out to Old Mill Press. We're going to have links so that you can get your uh, book shopping done. Old Mill Press is an awesome place to pick up some uh, coffee table books so that you can delve in and, and settle in with a good book and an awesome read and get some uh, really good education uh, as well. Quality stuff. And also Dave Bossert's website too, DaveBossert.com. Uh, give a shout out to uh, Dining at Disney podcast, which uh, I host with my wife as well as the Disney list. If you want more Disney fun, uh, Dave, it's all you. Hey, Al John, you said it all. Uh, you know, uh, it's Cyber Monday. Uh, go check out theoldmillpress.com. Uh, they have a new website, and they've got uh, a whole bunch of great books there, including Don Ballard's uh, second edition of the Disneyland Hotel book. Oh, there you, you go. Check that out, and there's a couple of my books up there. So uh, do that, theoldmillpress.com. Uh, and with that, Al John, I'm going to say go out and have a fantastic week, everyone. Be safe on the roads. Be aware of what you're doing. A lot of people are out there shopping. It's a record-breaking uh, 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 shoppers going back to the malls and whatnot. Uh, so go out there. Be safe. Uh, have fun. Find some bargains. And we'll see you back here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. 
give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves? Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. Skull Rock Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. We'd love to thank Charles, Lindsay, Spencer, and Joshua. To support this podcast to sustain future episodes, visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast.